You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. Well, I do apologize for the late episode today. Got a little bit of a cold. Turns out if you got a sniffle, the uh, solution is not to go walking around outside in the cold for a couple hours. So live and learn. But congratulations, you did finally make it to PFF Day, for those of you that have been waiting. Um, also, what a heck of a day for the NFL. That was a wild, wild week. Gets you a little bit excited for this Kansas City game. What is going to happen? You got Jets over Bengals, Pittsburgh barely over Cleveland. Um, my thoughts about Detroit being scrappy, way out the window. Philadelphia scored more points than they have probably since they won the Super Bowl. San Francisco embarrassed Chicago. Seattle annihilated Jacksonville, which makes me kind of sad, but it's interesting to note. And a quarterbackless, although you could debate whether or not New Orleans has had a quarterback all year, but a quarterbackless New Orleans Saints beat Tampa Bay largely because Tom Brady played like garbage. And uh, Dallas beat Minnesota without a quarterback. So, uh, oh, by the way, Jacksonville won. I think the secret for this week is don't play your starting quarterback. Jets, no quarterback, they won. Pittsburgh technically doesn't have a quarterback, they won. <laughs> San Francisco doesn't know who their quarterback is. They won, although the Bears don't have a quarterback. But I guess um, uncertainty trumps garbage. I'm just learning the rules myself. Carolina benched their starting quarterback. They won. Seattle does not have a starting quarterback because he's injured. They annihilated Jacksonville. New Orleans lost their quarterback and won. Dallas lost their quarterback and won. This, that is, there you go. That's, that was the winning formula. Too bad for Arizona that Kyler didn't get hurt a little bit early. By the way... Kyler Murray sounds like he's going to be out a couple weeks because um, they decided he should take off and run in the final second of the game. He twisted his ankle pretty bad. He might be out a couple weeks. So, um, again, everybody wanted to mock me when I said, you know, them running the ball with the quarterback is not something that they do a lot. And I elaborated on that and said a big part of the reason is because this guy's been injury prone. He's a very small human being. It's one thing when a guy like Ben Roethlisberger, who I know is not very fast, but you know, look at Jameis Winston. That guy took off running yesterday, like looked like a horse running down the field. I mean that in terms of some speed, but mostly just an absolute massive human being. And he took a little bit of a sideways hit, but you know, it would. The point is, it's going to take a lot to hurt that guy. I mean, you got to take a head-on hit, and he. I mean, he's just he's a football player. I mean, it's no different than hitting a running back. Kyler's been getting banged up, and he barely ran in the game again against us. He got hurt again. And the fact of the matter is he's been playing well from the pocket. There's no reason to risk him running around more than necessary. It's an attribute. If you need it, that's great. But the idea that he's going to be the next Mike Vick, Lamar Jackson that, you know, runs around all over the place all day long, it doesn't look like that's the case. Anyways, might take a, uh, excuse me, 
might take a closer look at a couple of these, specifically the Bears and Vikings and Lions and whatnot, uh, as well as some of the upcoming games that we have in a little bit. But I think that's enough teasing for now. want to uh, delve into this thing. And so we're going to start off with the offense of the Green Bay Packers against the Arizona Cardinals. And, and th- the thing that you got to remember is um, for the majority of this season, this is how it's been. When they win, they win in a scrappy fashion, not necessarily a pretty fashion. And that's been reflected in the grades. In fact, if we go back and look at the teams, um, I mean, last year the Packers were rated as either number one or one of the top teams. Right now they're ranked 13th. And they're ranked 13th because although there's been a good amount of good, there's also been a lot of bad. And even the the good has not been like elite, like Aaron Rodgers. You know, Aaron Jones has been good enough. He's been nowhere near like a top three running back. The rest of our wide receivers, the the offensive line, that's been getting pretty pretty much brutalized. So again, I just want to remind you that that's kind of the way they've been winning. And it's also a source of encouragement because there is plenty of reason to believe that they're going to continue to improve, like I talked about with Aaron Rodgers a couple days ago, where every single week he's slowly climbing that quarterback rank. We're slowly starting to see A.J. Dillon become more and more a factor. We're starting to see more from the wide receivers and tight ends, although all our wide receivers and now our tight end are out. Um, point is, things are slowly getting better, and that's awesome. But anyways, a uh, quick look at the offense. Only two guys graded out very poorly, and that would be Malik Taylor and Jawan Winfrey. Um, Hard to give them too hard of a time. They get activated kind of last minute. And in both instances, and this is, you know, really just goes to show the value of the wide receivers we have. The biggest reason um, that they graded out so poorly, especially Jawan Winfrey, was run blocking. And I don't mean especially Jawan Winfrey in terms of his grade was much worse. Malik Taylor was a 31 overall run blocking grade. Jawan Winfrey was a 30 overall. I mean it because Jawan Winfrey was asked to run block 21 times, and he was really bad at it. And so, again, you got a situation where it's not just a matter of how good you run routes and how good you catch balls. The entire offense is, is built on a lot of different things that wide receivers are asked to do, including where and how to line up, which can be problematic at times. Otherwise, um, only two guys actually were in the 50s, um, so we might as well talk about them as well. Mercedes Lewis, which no question in my mind, if that one-handed catch was a touchdown, he would have been back up. Um, 33 overall receiving grade, but... As a blocker, again, he did fairly well. 66 pass blocking, 69 run blocking, so he was pretty solid in that regard. Um, just the receiving was not quite there this week, as we saw. But again, if, if he gets a second foot down, his grade probably goes up quite a bit. And the other was John Runyon, who had a 38 overall pass blocking grade and just a 56 run blocking, so 53 overall. But um, although there wasn't a ton of really massive grades, there wasn't that bad either. Again, only four guys under 60. Um, which is pretty awesome. Guys that did grade out quite well. We'll start with Aaron Rodgers, 68 overall grade, 69 uh, passing grade. Again, um, you had Colin Coward even, and I may play the clip, I'm not sure, but he had a really good segment, um, kind of echoing what I've been saying, but just in a different way. He said this is the most impressive game he's ever seen from Aaron Rodgers, and obviously it doesn't have to do with any sort of spectacular throws or anything that he made. It was more of the situation and what he had to navigate and um, overcome and everything else that made it so spectacular. And, and again, you know, when I look at 68, I don't think that that's a terrible assessment. Again, there wasn't anything super amazing that he did, but he did enough, especially when it's hard to get really high grades when you're, you know, what did he throw, like three passes beyond 10 yards? Anyways, after that, the fifth highest graded was Aaron Jones with a 72 overall grade. 
um, 76 rushing grade. Elton Jenkins was fourth. Great to have him back. We haven't had a running back, or excuse me, we haven't had an offensive lineman grade very high on our offense in a long time. Elton Jenkins comes back on his first um, his first start back and, and did a fantastic job. His pass blocking was only a 62, but a 73.6 run blocking, which we need that. I mean, even, even, um, even acknowledging that y- you hope he can kind of take a step a little bit further as a pass blocker, which he does, um, it's so critical to be able to have at least somebody that can push people out of the way. Second highest, which is an underrated, or excuse me, well, tied actually, the two second highests, which has been a, uh, a big question about what do we do now that our uh, tight end Robert Tunyon is injured. Josiah DeGuara and Dominique Daphne tied at a 76.7 overall. Josiah DeGuara had a 71 overall receiving grade, which is the highest of anybody on the team. Um, Dominique Daphne got it from run blocking. He didn't grade out very well as a receiver. Um, Pass blocking, he did fine. Run blocking was his biggest thing. By the way, Josiah also 73.6 run blocking grade. The three between Elton Jenkins, Josiah DeGuara, and Dominique Daphne are the only three that graded out well as run blockers in the game. So, you know, it's obviously not a one-to-one replacement for Robert Tunyon. Josiah and Dominique are different styles of tight ends, um, but I'm not as concerned about it. I mean, it's it's not as big as, as a lot of the other guys we lost because, I mean, just subtract his production over the last several games, how impactful is that? Not very. I don't think even once this year he's graded out as a, as a top player. I don't mean to diminish Robert Tunyon. I just seems like people are in panic mode about oh no, what are we going to do? So far this year, he's at a 54.6 overall grade, which is the lowest he's had since he's been with the Packers, and he's only had a good grade once. 68 was his grade last year, despite the hype. Receiving grade is a 58.6, run blocking 47, and pass blocking, he has a 16.3 overall grade. Um, He is the fastest. He probably has the surest hands of the group, and he also has the best understanding of what to do. We saw Josiah get scolded a couple times, not lining up in the right spot. But what I'm saying is we've, we've got some guys that are, are doing good things and are trending in the right direction, and there's reason to be excited about that. Um, this was Josiah DeGuara's best grade that he's received since he's been with the Packers. So uh, we'll give these guys time. And we know they love Dominique Daphne. Um, Josiah had 16 snaps. Daphne had 14. This was also Daphne's highest graded game. So... Um, Maybe a game that was a little more suited to their skill set. And, um, you know, either way, promising news after we lost uh, Mr. Robert Tunyon. And then in the highest graded guy, probably not super surprisingly, but A.J. Dillon, 80.3 overall grade. Uh, didn't grade out super well as a receiver, as a pass blocker, and had a 60 overall run blocking grade, but 80.5 rushing grade. If we look at the offensive line in terms of pressures, I'm sure you can guess who gave up the most. It's the guy that always gives up the most. It was Billy Turner. Four pressures in this game. No sacks, though. In fact, no sacks given up by any offensive lineman or anybody, period, apparently. Um, but he gave up two hits and two hurries. John Runyon gave up three pressures, a hit and two hurries. Lucas Patrick gave up one hurry. Elton Jenkins gave up a hurry. Royce Newman gave up a hurry, and that's it. We've got uh, three hits, seven hurries for the team. Um, we talked a little bit about run blocking, how it was just those three guys. Everybody else did somewhat of a average to subpar performance. Pass blocking, though, was pretty interesting. We had several guys. Uh, Elton Jenkins was the fourth highest graded at a 75. Aaron Jones, 77. Lucas Patrick, who's really been quite underrated for this team. He's been grading out better than Josh Myers all year, and nobody's really mentioned that at all. I mean, it's close, but 
it doesn't feel like we're going backwards with Lucas Patrick is my point. He's doing a great job, especially as a pass blocker, 78.5. But the real highlight here is Mr. Royce Newman, who only had a 66 overall grade, but most importantly, an 82 pass blocking grade. So it's good to see that Royce has been really struggling this year. Um, he's had, uh, one game where he graded out at a 70 that was against Cincinnati otherwise it's been a lot of 40s and 30s and a couple 50s um so an 82 overall pass blocking grade only the second game where he's had a positive pass blocking grade but this was his uh his highest so hopefully that trend continues and um, he can continue to build on what he's been doing for uh Aaron Rodgers we kind of went over the stats for the most part overall um actually we didn't but I'm sure you've heard it um one big time throw, one turnover worthy play, adjusted completion percentage of 73.5. There were three drops in this game. Um, Packers are a team that is usually very low on drops, so three is a f- fairly high number for the Packers, at least. Another interesting clear key to this game time to throw for Aaron Rodgers was 2.15 seconds. That has to be one of his lowest ever. Um, again, the, the Cardinals bring a ton of pressure. They brought a lot of extra guys all the time, and those guys got home fast and the Packers knew that that was coming and again the game plan was pretty fantastic one of those things being a 2.15 time to throw NFL passer rating though for Aaron Rodgers was a 90.4 looking at the rushing abilities start with Amari Rodgers because he got one attempt for 11 yards six yards after contact one missed tackle force again I'm I'm just excited about him I know he's an unrefined product He, he again he reminds me a lot of A.J. Dillon when you watch him you see that there's something there and you like what you see, but the Packers are clearly not ready to just turn over the keys to him because he's not hes not where he needs to be in terms of his understanding. And and um, when your offense is largely, like all of them are to some degree, but it's largely predicated on being a well-oiled machine and um, is even more so about doing the right things in the right way at the right time than um, just being sort of a freewheeling, you know, athlete that just gets stuff done. You know, it's not like a punt return. Not that I want it to be a punt return because Amari's been quite bad at that. But um, you look back at guys like Barry Sanders where it's like you give the guy the ball and he just creates. That's not what the Packers are looking for. They're not looking for guys to go back and create in in the backfield or wherever. You follow the structure, and you need to know the structure inside and out in order for that to happen. But I am excited about what we've seen so far from Amari. And, uh, again, I see a similar trajectory as we've seen so far with A.J. Dillon where I think at some point maybe this year he's going to have one big game. And uh, we're going to assume that's his big breakout game. We're going to see a lot of them, and then maybe not as much. And then there's that confusion of, wait a minute, why don't we see him more? He had a big game. And then maybe next year, again, you start to see more of an impact, especially when we lose a bunch of wide receivers, presumably. Aaron Jones, again, 15 attempts, 59 yards, only 3.9 average, one touchdown, um, 2.07 yards after contact, two missed tackles, four, 16 yards was his longest, two carries over 10 yards, had four first downs. A.J. Dillon, 16 attempts, 78 yards, 4.9 yards per attempt, 3.81 yards after contact, which again, as I mentioned yesterday, puts you at 1.09 yards before contact. He had three missed tackles, 12 yards was his longest, one over 10 yards. I'd be willing to guess it was 12. Um, Elusiveness ratings for these different guys, Um, 37 for Aaron Jones, 71 for A.J. Dillon, and a 600 for Mr. Amari Rogers. Still don't exactly know how that works, but interestingly enough. Oh, man, I love coffee. Looking at the receiving grades, again, the lowest receiving grade was Mr. Mercedes Lewis. Um, he ran 14 routes, 
was targeted once and was not a reception. Juwan Winfrey was the next lowest at a 49 overall receiving grade. Uh, six targets, four receptions, 30 yards. He uh, ran 32 different routes. About 75% of the time he was out wide. A quarter of the time he was in the slot. Mari Rogers, um, only five times he was out on passing plays. All five times they had him running routes. Three targets, one reception, which I think the interesting thing about that is you look at the three targets, one reception as a percentage compared to how many times he's actually out there on the field. It's somewhat of a high percentage. He's just not out there very much. But a 56 overall receiving grade for Amari. Equinemius, 59 receiving grade, two targets, two receptions on 35 routes. Um, he was in the slot about a third of the time, the other third being out wide. Um, next highest grade, 61 overall, was Aaron Jones, who was actually the most targeted and had the most receptions on the team. Probably not super surprisingly. 11 targets, seven receptions, 25 routes he ran. Uh, lined up twice in the slot, three times out wide, three times in line. The rest of the time, presumably out of the backfield. Robert Tunyon, 65 overall, receiving grade, four targets, three receptions, 23 routes run. 37% of the time in the slot, 29% of the time out wide, 33% in line. Randall Cobb with a 65.8 overall grade, five targets, three receptions, only 15 yards, but two touchdowns, 29 routes run. Uh, he was 73% in the slot, 26% out wide. And then again, Josiah DeGuara, the highest graded receiver, um, only ran six routes, was targeted twice on those six routes. Two of them were, both of them were caught for 20 yards. Um, he lined up twice in the slot, which is 25% of the time, twice out wide, 25%, and then 50% was in line. He had 26 yards after the catch, which is 13 yards per reception, which is the highest on the team. 3.33 yards per route run, also the highest on the team. Um, contested catches for the Packers on the day, not super great. Six contested catch opportunities, four of them for Randall Cobb, who came down with two, one for Aaron Jones, who did not catch it, and one for Jawan Winfrey. They were six and two on the day, or I should say two of six on the day. But anyways, why don't we go ahead and take a break here, come back, look at the defensive side of the ball. If you'd like to support this here podcast, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. Really, really appreciate all the uh, support from everybody that uh, supports me on Patreon and whatnot, and everywhere else, of course. But uh, we'll take a break, and we'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. 
With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Looking at the defensive side of the ball, it's almost identical to the offense in terms of the top end, but it was a little bit more bad um, for the defense. So we'll start off with that. Looking at just overall defensive grades first before we kind of get into the granular portion of it. Uh, Chris Barnes was the one guy that really struggled on the day. Um, He was a starting linebacker, 38 snaps. He was out there quite a bit, 29 overall grade. Um, Chris Barnes has been a guy that um, every once in a while there's a guy that the fans really, really like, and um, I'm not as big of a fan. Chris Barnes is one of those guys. 43 overall grade last year. So far this year, 41.6 overall grade. He had a good game against San Francisco. I think Chris Barnes is very similar to Robert Tunyon in that he has really good plays, he has really good games, and then nobody notices when he has really terrible games. (laughs) So um, there's just a lot of positivity that I don't really align with. But um, I think with Devondre Campbell on board, nobody's going to care as much about me talking down to Chris Barnes. Anyways, um, after that, you had, unfortunately, Preston and Rashawn both tied at the second lowest, uh, 16th overall, 45.7 overall grade. Um, just, a, just a bad day. It happens, you know. I mean, Preston more so than Rashawn. Rashawn has been on an absolute terror lately and I guess was just do a day. I don't know exactly what happened. Um, this is his worst game of the year. I kind of just got done saying maybe I jinxed him a little bit that he hasn't had a bad game all year. Um, but hoping that he can kind of overcome this one and get back. And fortunately, we brought in some help. We'll get to that in a minute. But Preston and Rashawn both graded out pretty bad, uh, pretty poorly. We'll get into the, the nuance of that in a minute. Another guy that we generally depend on that doesn't have bad days that struggled in this game, Adrian Amos, 46.4 overall grade. Um, after that was Eric Stokes, who it's kind of becoming a common thing. He grades out poorly, but we're all kind of satisfied with his performance. Get into the stats on that in a minute. Uh, 52 overall, Jonathan Garvin, another pass rusher. Chandon Sullivan, who always does a great job for us. Um, 52 overall grade. Henry Black, who had the pick, but generally doesn't grade out very well. 53 overall. Tyler Lancaster, 55. And then uh, we'll, we'll kind of end it there because 59.6 we'll call average. But um, so that's all the guys that were basically in the 50s or lower, which is uh, about half, half, a little bit more than half the defense. Um, again, no real reason to be super mad about it. They overcame it. And uh, ultimately, even with onesie twosie guys not really working very well, they as a unit are performing, which is fantastic. Um, the guys that did grade out very well, there were only four of them, but at number four overall, Kenny Clark, who is uh, another guy that 
And again, I don't mean to jinx it, but he just hasn't had a lot of bad days. San Francisco, he had a 59.8 overall grade. That was his worst so far. Since week five, he's been 70s or higher. Um, and he's only had two games that were not 70s or higher, but 80, 73, 75 in this game, 71. Um, he's been very consistent. He's having his best year so far since 2018. Very happy with Kenny Clark. Razul Douglas, number three overall, absolutely incredible um, what he's been able to do. I don't necessarily know if he's going to be able to stay at that level. I don't really, it's it just, just because it's kind of hard to believe that he's going to end up being a top corner. Um, I'm content with him coming in and filling a role and uh, doing a good job, but it's just, I'm, I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around him just being, you know, like a top 15, top 10 corner, um, off somebody's practice squad. I don't know. Maybe it's just, you know, again, change of scenery system that just works better for him. Maybe the Packers are just having a 2018 Bears season where, you know, the good players are having really good seasons and even the not so great players are just well beyond their abilities, which I'm okay with. But um, again, very impressed with Razul. I only bring that up because if he starts to regress, don't panic. It's just, you know, just kind of who he is. Uh, Number two overall, we got a uh, visit from a guy we haven't seen in a while, um, who we were kind of hyped about for a while. Mr. Oren Burks. Uh, Oren Burks had a great preseason. Talked about how maybe he could have a resurgent season this year. Um, Then weeks one, two, and three, he actually graded out in the 70s. Week three was his best game of the season, and he actually played a significant snap amount of snaps. Um, After that week four, he got his most amount of snaps, had a bad day, another bad day, another really bad day, and then another really bad day. And his snap count has decreased basically every single week because he continues to play poorly. Well, only seven snaps, but he had a good day for the first time since week three against San Francisco. So, and, and again, the other good thing about it is, again, I don't expect Oren to stay at the top. He just doesn't, he has the ability to have great days. I don't think he has the ability to be consistently great or even consistently good. However, again, one of the great things about this defense and this team overall is you got guys like Preston and Rashawn and Amos that are just having uncharacteristically bad days. But then you got guys like Razul and Oren that kind of fill a void, right? I mean, just just stepping up on those few snaps or, or Razul with his 59 snaps, which is every every snap, basically, there are only 59 to be had. We need that, right? We need guys to fill that void. Uh, but number one overall makes me so happy, Mr. Whitney Merciless. 29 snaps he played, um, less than Preston, less than Rashawn, um, a little bit more than Jonathan Garvin again, so he's the number three right now, but 80.9 overall grade. Just the fact that, you know, even on somewhat of a down day against one of the top teams in football, you've got basically the top two, because Oren Burks only played seven snaps. We can almost disregard that if we wanted to. The top two players are guys that Brian Gutekunst just picked up. We just got Razul and Whitney Merciless, especially Whitney Merciless. And on a day in which, you know, Eric Stokes and Shannon Sullivan have bad days, Razul Douglas is there having one of the better games of his career, which I feel like I'm saying that every year, so it's meaningless at this point. And on a day in which Preston and Rashawn had extremely bad days, um, Whitney Merciless steps up as the best player on the team. Where is our pass rush if we didn't pick up Whitney Merciless? Fantastic, right? Anyways, breaking down some of the specifics here, only one guy had a really good run defense grade, um, and that's Oren Burks. So kudos to him for that. Dean Lowry was fine, 69. Kenny Clark was fine, 68. But um, as far as, you know, 70-ish or higher, Oren Burks was the guy. 
Two guys didn't grade out very well. That's Chris Barnes and Preston Smith. Chris Barnes, 45. Preston Smith, 37 run defense grade. That's the one thing we kind of count on him for, so he needs to get better at that. One of the most important things is the Packers' tackling ability. And, and I've, I mentioned this years ago. That one of the most underrated characteristics of a great defense is they're a good tackling team. I've, it's, a, it's a trend I've noticed for a long time, and the Packers are one of the best tackling teams in football. Chris Barnes and Preston Smith were terrible as far as their tackling, but basically starting at number 13 at, with a 66.8 overall with Tyler Lancaster, the whole team did great. Tyler, Kiki, Slayton, Clark, Merciless, Lowry, Burks, Gary, Stokes, Campbell, Sullivan, Black, and Savage um, from 66.8 all the way up to 80.7 in tackling. Uh, Henry Black and Darnell Savage actually were the top tacklers on the team, which is good to see. Uh, pass rush, nobody was below a 50, which is great. About half the guys that did rush the pass were in the 50s. Preston Amos, Slayton, Gary, Barnes, Lancaster, and Garvin. Um, two guys were in the 70s. Dean Lowry, 70.9, and then Whitney Merciless, not surprisingly, 78.4. And then in terms of coverage, uh, Chris Barnes, 31 overall grade. Eric Stokes, 47. Amos, 47. Chandon, 49. Um, Black, 54. Savage, 57. Then you got a handful of averages. And then Razul Douglas is the one that graded out quite well, 71.5. Pressures on the day, 17 pressures, which is awesome. We had one from Kingsley Kiki, who only rushed six times, so I'm completely content with that, regardless of the grade. Um, you get a pressure on six attempts, that's great. Um, Jonathan Garvin had one on 18, which is not good. We're talking like 6%. Kenny Clark, two on 36. Again, not what you're looking for, and those two are just hurries. Um, he graded out fine, mostly run defense, and that was probably a bigger emphasis for him. Could kind of not saying they want him to stay home because it's a pretty aggressive style of defense these days, but they do, the Cardinals do run the ball a lot. Um, but regardless of that, uh, two pressures, 36 attempts, not generally what you're looking for. Devondre Campbell had two pressures on just four attempts. Linebackers, as I've said, do generally get a much higher percentage, but 50% is incredible, especially when one of them is a sack. So Devondre getting the job done. By the way, I didn't mention his name yet today because he had a 60 overall grade. Um, so one of his lowest of the season. Maybe it is his lowest of the season. Let me check. It's got to be, right? Uh, yes, he did have a 64 week one, 60 so far this year or this week, but still an 86.7 overall with a 90.7 run defense an 86 tackling and a 79 coverage. So, I mean, he's, he's fine. There's we're, we're good. Um, where are we at? Oh, pressures. Rashawn Gary had two on 23. So just slightly under 10%. Whitney Merciless, uh, three on 23. So that's, let's see what that is. 13%, which is glorious. Again, as I said, no reason to believe he wouldn't be able to do that. Um, Preston three on 24. So right at 13% again, um, again, he didn't grade out super well, but I'll take three pressures on 24 all day long. Forget the pressures are one of the few things I don't care about the grades. I think the grades kind of are indicative of um, maybe past or present or future, future performance, more or less, because PFF is looking at it on some kind of a level saying they didn't do that good of a pass rushing job. Maybe it was because of uh, schemey kind of a way that they came open or just the offensive lineman tripped on his shoelaces or whatever, but at the end of the day, um, pressure numbers are what I care about, especially when it's consistent. Rashawn Gary doesn't actually grade out very well, uh, hardly ever, in terms of his pass rush grade, but he always does well statistically. So 
I don't I don't know how to reconcile the two, and I don't. This is one of the few times I really just don't care as long as he is able to keep doing it. And then uh, finally, Dean Lowry, three pressures on only 17 attempts. So 17.6% for Dean Lowry. Uh, fantastic. Again, the two sacks, Lowry and Campbell. Um, the one hit was Whitney Merciless. And then we had 14 hurries, three from Preston, two from Rashawn, two from Lowry, Clark, and Merciless, and then one for Garvin, Kiki, and Campbell. So um, continuing to be a, a high-pressure team, and I dig it. Um, again, the tackles... Generally pretty good. Preston was the lowest. His missed tackle percentage was um, 100%. So that's that's not great. But he only had one opportunity and and one miss. So zero tackles, one miss is not great. Uh, Chris Barnes, two tackles, one missed tackle, 20%. Still not great. Adrian Amos, three for one. Razul had a ton of tackles and only missed one. So he's fine. Defensive stops on the day, which again are tackles that are a negative play for the offense. Devondre Campbell, three of them. I, I should look at how many he's got on the season. Razul had two. Stokes, Burks, Lancaster, Gary, Barnes, Lowry, Clark, Amos, and Merciless, um, all with stops on the day. We had 14 total stops. Looking at the coverage statistics, Razul Douglas, eight targets, five receptions, 51 yards, a pick, and a pass breakup, 41.1 pass rating when targeted. I will take that any and all days of the week. Eric Stokes, seven targets, four receptions, 79 yards. Kind of talked about that already. Um, He had his one bad one after that. It was like 20-some-odd yards, I think. Well, what was his longest here? 55. So, yeah, it it would be 24 yards, not including that one play. Chris Barnes, four targets, four receptions, 44 yards. Not great, but, you know, um, I think the biggest issue maybe is the fact that he only played 20 coverage snaps. So, as a percentage, it's quite a bit higher, but I can live with that, I guess. Um, Devondre Campbell, four targets, four receptions, 41 yards, almost identical, but he had 36 coverage snaps. Um, and, and again, it wasn't Devondre's best coverage day. Chandon, three targets, three receptions, 27 yards, um, on 40 coverage snaps. I'll take that any and all day of the week, given whatever grade you want, whatever pass rating you want. If Chandon's given up 27 yards a game, um, we're going to win a lot of games. Adrian Amos, three targets, only one reception for nine yards. Again, I'll take that all day. Henry Black, two targets, one reception, 23 yards, which is a, a big reception that you don't want to see, but he covered that up with a pick, so I'm more than happy with that performance. Overall, as a group, 71.2 passer rating with um, zero touchdowns, two interceptions, and a pass breakup, and only allowing 274 yards. Herculean effort, in my opinion. Special teams grades, um, several guys graded out quite poorly, not surprisingly. 40s or lower, Josiah DeGuara, 48 Hunter Bradley, 47. Hunter's always at the bottom. Ty Summers, 47. Tyler Davis, 47. And Malik Taylor, 46. Only one guy graded out very positively on special teams. And I've noticed him several times with some pretty big hits, and that's Mr. A.J. Dillon. Um, Not a role that I'd like to see him stay in necessarily, but he seems to be doing a pretty good job, especially as a a gunner, just lighting people up. He's a good tackler, man. Uh, return grades, Amari Rogers with a 42 overall grade. Again, just not really getting it done. And every time he does have a good run, it gets taken back by a penalty every single time. But two returns for 12 yards, which is an average of six yards per return. Seven yards was his longest with one fair catch. Kylan Hill, 59 overall grade, one return, 13 yards. And that was it for him on the day. And then finally, kicking grades. Again, everyone pretty much at a 60. Mason, 63.73. Uh, extra points, all good. And then one field goal attempt, which was made in the 20 yard range. Corey Bajorquez, three punts, 154 yards, 51.3 average, 46.7 net, 58 was his longest boot. 
Two of his three were kicked inside the 20. Um, 4.36 was his hang time, which is quite low, so it's uh, a lot of line, line drivers, but um, only three returns of 14 yards. So I'll take it. I mean, if, if we have the ability to bang line drivers and get guys down there, I, I dig it. I don't generally like that because our guys can't get down there very fast, um, but it worked in this case. So anyways, let's do a Devondre check and just see how he's doing on the season. Uh, let's do minimum snaps here. He is second now behind Frankie Louvu. I don't even know who that is for the Carolina Panthers. 2018 undrafted free agent. He's not going to stay at the top. Um, he's just had some really big, he's had two games in the nineties, which is why he's at an 87.6. Um, he's had three games in the fifties, one in the sixties, two in the seventies. So, <coughs> excuse me. He, um, Currently as the top stop spot with an 87.6. Devondre, 86.7. Uh, the first guy that is a real threat is probably Shaq Thompson. After that, Jeremiah Owosu-Kuromoa, who's having a great year, 81.1. He's quite a ways below, and he's really struggling with tackling. Uh, I said I wanted to look at stops. Devondre Campbell is fourth in stops. Denzel Perryman, 33. Roquan Smith, 30. Bobby Wagner, 29. Uh, he's tied with Fred Warner which is very good company to be in. But uh, Devondre does has the, have the number one run defense grade. Um, he is number two in his tackling grade. And then in coverage, Devondre Campbell is fourth. So he's the number one run defender, number four coverage linebacker. I, whatever. <laughs> I don't know what to say about that. But anyways, uh, very quickly do want to look at some of these games here. Um, starting off with Chicago, maybe even ending with Chicago because it's just funny. Honestly, looked like at first that Chicago was going to win the game, and, and I thought uh, Justin Fields looked pretty good at first. Uh, he was something like 16 of 20 um, for a, I don't know if he had a touchdown yet or what, but no picks. It's like, dude, he's, uh, he's having quite a day, but uh, everything, apparently, I didn't watch the game, unfortunately, I was gone for that entire game, uh, so I didn't get to see it, but he ended the day 19 of 27 for only 175 yards, one touchdown and a pick. Um, that's, that's not good at all. 175 yards is terrible. Um, 19 of 27, he must've just thrown nothing but intercept, uh, incompletions and then ended up, I think at the very end threw a pick. So on our Justin Fields check, uh, yep, he's still bad. Some fun little insights because it's funny. A Bears opponent had zero punts and zero turnovers in a game for the second time since 1940. <laughs> and that was against the Green Bay Packers. So zero punts, zero turnovers. The other really exciting thing before we continue on, the 49ers scored 33 points in this game. If we go back to 2018 and look at some of these games, um, week 16, the Bears scored 14 points and won. Uh, week 14, they scored 15 points and won. Uh, week 3, they scored 16 points and won. They scored 23 points and won. They scored 24 and won, 24, 24. Basically, if you scored more than 24 points, you pretty much won the game. Why? Because their defense was so good. Now, there were a handful of times that teams did score in the 30s, but the last two weeks in a row, the Bears' defense has allowed 38 to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and now 33 to the San Francisco 49ers. And you might be tempted to give them a pass on Tampa Bay because it's Tampa Bay. But again, if you're one of the top teams, the top defenses in football, you don't give up 38 points on a whim. Second week in a row, giving up 30-some-odd points. And um, this is a team that has not done that since week one against... Detroit. Again, they've scored 17, 28, 21, 10, and 18. This is an offense that has found no rhythm and no ability to do anything 
going up against the quote-unquote monsters of the midway, and the Bears give up 33 points. The Bears' defense right now is ranked 20th. 20th. And again, the only real impressive defensive performance came against the Raiders during that completely um, disastrous performance right after the news that their you know, head coach is in trouble and ended up losing his job, et cetera, et cetera. So in terms of points, they're 31st on offense, 20th on defense. In terms of yards, 32nd on offense, 15th on defense. So um, they're not a top-half team in any phase of the game except maybe special teams. I don't know. Who cares? It's brutal because, again, as I've said, what I've wanted them to recognize is this is not just a quarterback problem. Your team needs to be tore down and rebuilt, and uh, they're now just deciding, they're now just realizing that. Even if Justin Fields was Pat Mahomes, they're not winning a lot of games. They'd win some. They'd win a decent amount. They might make the playoffs. But there's much bigger and deeper problems than simply looking at um, Justin Fields being real good. Um, Another Bears nugget. The Bears are the first team since the 2008 Titans to have fewer than 200 passing yards in each of their first eight games of the season. What in the world? They have never once thrown for 200 yards this year. The most they've thrown for was 188 yards. That was against the Detroit Lions which I would say is more of an indictment than anything else. Against the Lions? Actually, I'm sorry, 185 against the Lions, 188 against the Rams, 168 against the Bucks, 148 against the 49ers, 137, 109, and they also had 83 yards against the Bengals, and of course, one passing yard against the Browns. They've yet to have 200 yards passing. Notice Trubisky was in that same time frame, and that was never an issue with Mitch Trubisky. In fact, Mitch Trubisky threw for less than, let's see, so the best game they have this year is 188 yards. Trubisky threw for less than 188 only twice last year. Twice. 169 yards against the Giants, 108 yards against the Vikings. He had, um, let's see, one. basically every game was over 200 yards. Only one, two, three, four, five were under 200, and uh, three of those five were at in the 190s, 191, 198, 198. He also had two games in the 300s against the Falcons, 307, against the Titans, 319. Justin Fields, and a little bit of Andy Dalton, but Justin Fields hasn't found 200 yet. He's found under 100 twice. (laughs) Oh, boy. Justin Fields has surpassed Craig Krenzel, 23 in 2004, for the fourth most sacks taken by a Bears rookie quarterback since 1970. Congratulations on that. Again, a lot of Bears fans are going to use that as an excuse for why he's not playing well. And of course, the offensive line is a problem. I've been proclaiming that for a while. The Bears need to address offensive line. Uh, They kind of tried to, but um, not, you know, didn't do enough. Um, But also, some of these are due to Justin Fields, 100%. Holding onto the ball, trying to scramble and going down, taking your drops too deep, whatever the ball, whatever the issue may be. Um, Then, you know, a little bit of credit to Justin Fields, the... uh, Fourth most rushing yards by a rookie quarterback, which is impressive until you realize that uh, he just surpassed Cade McNown. <laughs> so, but again, that's the one thing he's doing that's kind of exciting. And uh, I mentioned before, the first time he took off and ran, the Bears stadium just went absolutely crazy. I have to assume at this point they watch him run and they just roll their eyes because, again, he hasn't been able to do anything else. Now, l- let me throw this out there. This is also kind of similar to how, um, you know, Lamar Jackson started off his career. I've said before that playoff game in which they lost was the worst quarterback performance I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, The very next year, Lamar Jackson, I think he won MVP. So listen, I've never denied that Justin might be a good quarterback someday, but there are just 
there's a lot of issues here, and they make me smile. That's all. Um, again, Detroit, well on their way to the number one overall pick. And again, I, I guess I don't really super care. But uh, 44 to 6 is, um, that's pretty crazy. But Jared Goff threw for 222 yards. So <laughs> somehow on a 44 to 6 game, Jared Goff uh, outperformed Justin Fields. And then again, also hilariously, the Vikings lost to the quarterbackless Dallas Cowboys. And I bet a lot of Vikings fans were kind of wishing that they were also quarterbackless because um, Kirk Cousins had a terrible, terrible day. 23 of 35, 184 yards and a touchdown. Um, reminiscent of Justin Fields, in fact, minus the one pick. Um, I've mentioned before how Kirk Cousins is, is a actually a pretty solid quarterback, but um, one of the biggest knocks against him is when he plays in primetime, he's terrible, and that held up again. He had a Sunday night football game, and he just completely fell apart, which you're never going to win with a guy like this because ultimately what you want is to get into the primetime, right? Playoffs are primetime. Every one of those games is primetime. Um, Super Bowl is as primetime as it gets. If he can't do it, and maybe it's just kind of a fluke, but and this is a guy that maybe can get you to the playoffs but cannot help you win a Super Bowl. But again, as, the longer they hang on to this, the longer they're going to have to completely tear this thing down. And um, at that point, it doesn't matter if they find the quarterback of the future because they're going to have to retool everything. The defensive line, the safeties, cornerbacks are already a problem. They're going to need new linebackers. They still got to work on that offensive line. Um there's just no real cohesion. You know what I mean? You want to try to find things so that everything comes together just at the right time. The offense and the defense and everything's just kind of clicking. The Packers are there a little bit, minus the injuries being the one problem, but um, everything's just kind of clicking. And that's why the Packers deserve so much credit for kind of just keeping themselves up at a high level. The defense has always been a problem, but they've been able to maintain a high level of play. The Vikings are, are trying to push in one direction, but they're, they're being anchored in another area. And they refuse to turn around and, and, you know, snip the anchor because they don't want to turn around. They're trying to go full speed. So they're being weighed down by this anchor. And again, the issue is same thing with the Bears. Um, Bears and Vikings are in the same thing where they're just trying as hard as they can to run forward. No turning around, no stopping, no rebuilding. Pay the guys we've got. It doesn't matter if they're 32, 33 years old, not as good as they were. They know the system. They know what I want. I think they can be good enough. If, if we can just get these guys to play at a high level, we're going to be great. Well, they're not playing at a high level. You're three and four right now, and um, you're, you're headed for impending doom. These people are leaving. Linebackers, the safeties, the corners who are all rentals, the defensive line, half of which are rentals. They're leaving. And then what? Same with the Bears. We got our quarterback of the future. We got our left tackle of the future. All right, what about the rest of the offensive line? What about Trevathan? We still don't have corners. Still don't have safeties. Still don't have an offensive line. Maybe you got a left tackle. I don't know. It remains to be seen. What about wide receivers? What about tight end? I understand why they didn't rebuild, because they're not allowed to. They had to convince the owner of the team that they needed to stay. And if they say, you know what, I messed up, let me restart. And be like, you know what, restarting is a good idea. Let's, let's restart without you. But it's just not a good strategy. And it's why I was never really scared of the Bears, because they're starting with a faulty premise that they're almost there, and if they just push a little harder and just get a quarterback and a tackle, they can win, and that was never true. Lions are the only one doing the right thing, but it still requires them to rebuild the team, which is not just a given. It's, 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 it's just the first step to say, you know what, I think we need to rebuild. That's true, and they did, and they're starting to rebuild, and they're doing it in the right way in terms of building out the trenches and everything else before they go launch into a quarterback, but they still have to get the right pieces, and they still have to have had the right coach. I don't know if there's a right coach. Do they have the right coach, the right offensive coordinator, right defensive coordinator? Do they have the right GM and staff to get the right players to assess? Uh, you know, I mean, there, there's so many pieces here. 
And you got to hit, 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 hit in order for this to really pay off and become a really good team. And at the end of the day, the cherry on top is finding the right quarterback. There's so many obstacles still in the way. So even though I'm saying that the, the Lions did the right thing and they did, it doesn't mean they're going to be great. It just means they took the correct first step in the right direction. And there's many, many steps left. It's also why part of me feels excited, you know, Bears and Vikings, everybody else wants to brag about oh, how Rodgers is leaving. Maybe, maybe not. And granted, there's no guarantees with any quarterback or, or any other position to be filled. But if you had to have confidence in a team to tear down and rebuild, which we wouldn't even need to tear down because we're a fairly young team, um, but to fill some gaps, it's the Packers because they've done such a great job. Look at what we've done in free agency. Look at what we've done in the draft. We've done better than all the other teams in the NFC North. Why would we expect, even if Rodgers leaves, that we're going to um, be in these ages of darkness? Why? It's just about finding talent. We know we have the right play callers. We got a seemingly great defensive and offensive coordinator. We just need pieces. You don't think we can find pieces? Are you kidding me? I mean, I, I guess. See what happens. I'm I, I'm just going to focus on this year. You guys have fun dreaming about next year, I guess. But uh, anyways, I'm going to get going. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.